0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. My senior year of high school, I decided to take a class called physics. Anyone take physics in high school? There was really only two reasons why I wanted to take this class. Number one, there was a cute blonde girl in the class named Megan. (laughs) And um, we were dating at the time, and in this particular class, you sat at tables just two people, and I'd have her all to myself for 45 minutes in that class. And so that was one of the reasons. The other reason was you got to go to Cedar Point at the end of the class. <laughs> you know, you, the, whole tri- the whole class took a trip to Cedar Point. So that was the two reasons why I decided to take physics. Little did I know, <laughs> displacement, motion resistance, inertia, and something called joules would blow my mind throughout the course of this class. I mean, I struggled with physics. It was hard for me. It did not come naturally to me. I had to pay attention. I had to work really hard. And I was still just managing a C in the class about three-quarters of the way through. And I remember we were taking a big exam. And for some reason, I was gonna be absent for this particular exam. And so I worked it out with my physics teacher that I could take it during lunch the day before everyone else took it. So uh, during my lunch period, I went to my teacher's classroom and he took me in the back of this classroom and there was like a little storage area behind the classroom. There were test tubes and all kinds of different things back there, and there was a little desk, and he sat me at this desk. He gave me the test. He said, here you go. You know, I'm going to leave. I got a few things to do. If I'm not back, just throw it on my desk, and I'll, I'll get it. I said, okay. I start taking this test, and about three or four questions into this test, I'm drawing a blank. I'm not remembering the answers. And I studied, but they just weren't coming to me. And then I remembered something. I had my book bag with me (laughs) with a preview of the test in the book bag and the answers. And so all of a sudden, the temptation began to grow. Do I do this thing right Do I take this test the right way, the way of integrity or character that that was in me at the time, or do I cheat? And I'm like, you know what? I've never cheated on a test before. I'm not going to start my senior year of high school. I'm just going to keep going. And I kept going for about five more minutes. (laughs) And then I decided, nope, I'm digging into that test. And I justified it. You know, hey, I studied for the test. It's just not coming to my memory right now. I need to pass this test. I need to get a good grade. The C is the lowest I've ever gotten in high school, and I don't even want a C on my report card. I start justifying it in my mind. So I reached down. I grabbed the notebook out of my bag, and there they are, all the answers to the test. So I start cheating. I start writing these answers down. I start looking at it. And all of a sudden, my professor walks into the back room. We make eye contact. And immediately he looks away, acts like he was just trying to get a test tube, takes it off the shelf, and walks out of the room. Doesn't say a word. And now I'm stuck. I'm like, ah, he knows. I know. He knows that I know. I know that he knows. <laughs> but he wasn't confrontational. He's a great, nice guy. Great teacher. One of my favorites there. And so now I'm stuck in this conundrum. So I finished the test. I put the notebook in my, I immediately put the notebook back in my bag. I finished the test. I'm sorry, Grandpa. He's looking at me like, Chris, how could you cheat on this (laughs) test? We taught you better than this right now. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint. Uh, So I finish the test. I take it to my professor, and I put it in front of him, and he won't even look me in the eye. And I walk out of the room. And the rest of the day, it's eating at me. Not only the fact that I got caught, but what was going to happen. I mean, I'm the president of my class my senior year, I'm leading Bible studies, (laughs) I feel called to ministry. And now this guy knows that I cheated. And not only does he know that was bothering me, but he could bring me down. He could tell the principal. He could suspend me. He could give me an F. He could ruin my reputation. He could do whatever he wanted. My fate was in his hands. And he was eating at me. And so... After a few hours of this, I waited to the end of the day at school, and I walked into his classroom. I had to know what he was going to do. And so I walked into the classroom, and he wouldn't look me in the eye again. He said, can I help you with something? And so I said, listen, I need to talk to you about something. I said, "Um, I cheated on this test. I said I had the answers in my book bag, and, you know, I I got stuck, and I had studied, but I cheated, and I'm sorry, and I know you can give me enough, you can fail me, you can do whatever you want to do, but I wanted to let you know and come clean that I did cheat, and I'm sorry. It's not me. It's not who I am. It's not how I was raised. It's not what I want to be in life, and I'm sorry. And if you could find it in your heart to forgive me, maybe I could retake that test at some point. And he said, "Thank you for coming to me and telling me this. You're not retaking the test, and I'll let you know what what's going to happen." I said, "Okay." So about a week later, I've heard nothing and he's passing out the test to everybody with their results. And he gets to me, and he puts this test in front of me, and it says A, and next to the word A, it says grace. And that's it, A, grace. And I was blown away by that. And it wasn't that I got away with cheating. It was I was blown away by a man who caught me cheating, who had every right to punish that event. He could fail me. He could have suspended me. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he chose to teach me a lesson about grace instead of it not only did i not deserve the a because i cheated i deserved enough an and he gave me an a anyway and when he did that for me now students don't cheat i'm not yeah, i'm not saying cheat apologize and you'll get away with it no that's that's not what i'm saying but what this grace did for me it did three things one i had an admiration for this professor i wanted to be like him i wanted to be able to have grace for people i wanted to be able to appreciate him more it also it inspired me to not cheat anymore it really did the anxiety i felt the stress i felt everything about the whole experience, it was not worth it. And that is like sin, right? It's tempting. We think it's worth it. And we find out real quick that wasn't worth it. And so it inspired me to live better. It was a wake-up call for me. And then it really did inspire me to have more grace for other people. I mean, how quick am I to judge? Even at 17 years old, I was very judgmental and harsh with people at times, not compassionate, not graceful. But it taught me something in this moment. And see, that's what grace does. When you deserve judgment, but someone shows you grace, it changes you. When you deserve judgment, but someone shows you grace, it changes you. And I believe that's why God chose to use grace to save us. Because he's a just God, and he could have judged, but he chose to use a system of grace to save all of mankind. And we're in a series called The Grace Effect that starts today. And the whole series is going to be about what God's grace does in our lives, how it affects our lives. And so I want to read a portion of Scripture found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, "'As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient.'" Those verses are basically the gospel given to us on a silver platter. We were once far from God, living according to whatever felt good to us in the moment, living according to our flesh, doing whatever we wanted whenever we wanted to, sinning, accumulating baggage from our bad choices and mistakes, living any way, saying anything, not treating people with any kind of respect, and then all of a sudden, those of us who had an encounter with the living God, who heard the message of grace, who heard the message that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to be the final sacrifice for sin so that we could be in right standing with a holy God, when we knelt our, at the foot of that cross and gave our life to Christ, in that moment, He saved us. He rescued us from ourselves. He rescued us from our sin. And He rescued us from an enemy who was constantly trying to pull us away from Him. He rescued us from ourselves. And it wasn't because we deserved it. It wasn't because we finally understood how to follow the the law of God and the commandments. It was actually the opposite. It was because we couldn't understand. We couldn't follow. We failed. And so he stepped in and he rescued us. Titus 3, 5-7 says this, it says He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life heirs. Not just rescuing us and leaving us as these sinful heathens, but making us heirs. So first he rescues us, and then second, he raises us up. I want to show you this in Scripture, too, when we keep reading in Ephesians 2, chapter 6. So he rescues us, and then this is what it says. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incom- incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He raises us up. So he rescues us, but then he says, I'm going to raise you up and seat you in the heavenly realms next to Christ. That's your place, your royalty now. I'm going to put a robe around you and a ring on your finger and set you up next to Christ. That's your place in this world now. And I'm going to show the entire world the power of my grace through you. So that's what this verse is also saying is I'm going to make known to the world this is the power of grace. We are representative of that. God's proud of us. He's proud of His work in us. So He rescues us, He raises us up and that should really inspire us i don't know about you but i like being built up and raised up instead of tore down Amen. i mean i don't respond well to being yelled at to someone having a tone of voice with me that kind of stuff doesn't really work well with me but when you build me up or raise me up or speak life over me man i'll rise to that And I feel like that's what the majority of people in this room would say. I will respond better to someone coming alongside of me, pulling out my strengths, showing me the good parts of my life and my talents, and then helping me go to the next level. That's the kind of people we want to be around, and that's what God did for us. I'll never forget my freshman year of high school, I played football. And speaking of football, <laughs> congratulations to our 1-0 Detroit Lions. <laughs> That's for my football fans in the room. Some of you, that sound... It just brought joy to your heart. <laughs> Others of you, you were like, oh, gosh, here we go again, another year. My freshman year of high school, I played football, and we were really bad. Our team was terrible. Sterling Heights High School, we were, we were really bad. It wasn't uncommon to, to lose by three, four touchdowns in a game. And I remember this one game, we lost, I think, like 45 to six. And I played defense, I played offense and defense, but I, I played on the defensive side of the ball, I played cornerback. And we played a lot of zone coverage. And my coach, God bless him, I mean, he's dealing with 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, and, and we're bad. I mean, we just don't have the talent to be better. But he's trying to get the most out of us, and he's giving us an inspirational speech, and he's telling us, listen, listen you got to punish people when they come into your zone. <laughs> he's like, you can't just let these people run all over you. You guys have this. You know your assignments. You can do this. And he's, he's giving us a Dan Campbell-like speech. And then he said something. He said, the only person in last night's game who punished someone for coming into their zone was Rhea. Yeah, Rhea. And then he showed a film of a running back coming with the ball and me making a tackle. I got lucky, I think, but I made the tackle. (laughs) We need to punish people who come into our zones. You know what that did for me? My coach building me up like that in practice in front of the whole team? Man, I killed it in that practice that day. I ran faster, I didn't take any plays off. I did my sprints at 110%. I was tackling better, I was paying more attention. I even intercepted a ball from our quarterback when we were scrimmaging, and I ran it in for a touchdown and then I did a celebration dance. (laughs) And then he pulled me, Rhea, get over here. We don't showboat on this team, go run a mile and do 100 push (laughs) push-ups. So, my time in the sun was (laughs) short-lived. I guess pride does come before the fall. That's not the point, though. That's a different message. (laughs) The point is, I killed it that day. When someone believes in you, when someone calls something out in you, It does something for you. My wife and I, we have a marriage course called Make Love Work, and we have a whole module on this, and we do a lot of marriage counseling together. We've been doing a lot for the last 10 years. And I'll tell you the number one thing I see, we see together, is couples that tear each other down with their words instead of build them up. Couples who have forgotten how to speak life into each other. How to brag about their spouse. Couples who have been blinded and now only see weakness instead of strength. Couples who have begun to compare their spouse to other people. Comparing their spouse's weakness to other people's strengths. We see this over and over and over again. And my wife has this phrase that she tells to the ladies when we're, when we're counseling. She says, your husband will rise to the level of your words. There's something powerful that happens when we speak life over each other. When we raise each other up instead of tearing each other down. If I were to ask every man in this room right now who's married, or who has kids, what's the one thing you want from your family? I want respect. I want to be the hero. I want you to look at me the way you used to. I want your eyes to light up when you see me. I want you to look up to me. I want you to one day say, Dad, you were right. I should have listened more. See, we rise to the level of words in our lives. And Jesus, this is is the beauty of the grace effect in our lives, is God didn't just rescue us, but then he raised us up. He spoke life over us. He said, you view yourself as a sinner. I view you as a saint. You, use, you see yourself at all of your shortcomings and all of your sin and all of your faults, but I choose to see righteousness in you because I see Christ in you, not your sin." In fact, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm gonna remove your sin, and I'm gonna build you up, and I'm, you're never gonna be alone again. I believe in you is what he's saying. And I'm giving you a title as heir, co-heir with Christ, son, daughter, royalty. He rescues us, and then he raised us up. Then the next thing he does is he did something that man could never do. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Ephesians 2, 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one boast. This is what separates Christianity from everyone else. It's the fact that God gave us a free gift and he said this is not about your works. It's by grace you've been saved. Purely God's Grace that we have been saved from our sin and given an eternity in heaven. Faith is the vehicle that gets us to grace. Our faith activates the grace. Our belief that Christ died and rose again from the dead and us putting our faith in that message activates the grace in our life and we become completely redeemed in that moment, not by anything we've done, It's such a powerful message. That's why it bugs me when Christians get this wrong. When we try so hard to strive and strive and work our way towards God, thinking that if we do good things, we'll earn more favor. And if we do bad things, we're gonna earn less favor. That's not the message of grace. The message is you're saved. By grace, through faith, it's a gift. So we can't boast about it. So we can't be like the Pharisees and run around and say, look at how much I prayed today. God, look how much I gave in the offering. Look at how much I did. Those things are good. But that's not what saves us. And a lot of Christians don't understand this message. And I want it to get deep in your heart. It's God's grace that saves you and empowers you. He did what no man could ever do. If you remember, the entire Old Testament was God giving us commands, people commands, and people not being able to live up to them. It's all over the Old Covenant, Old Testament. Read it. And God was showing us that this attempt at righteousness on our own, it will fail. He had Jesus in mind in the beginning. And over and over again, our attempt at righteousness failed. In fact, this is a funny story. This, we just did a series called Rise and Build. We spent the whole summer in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you weren't there, quick recap, God's people, they were thrown out of their land. Their land was burned. It was destroyed. They were forced to leave. But then they came back. And leaders by the name of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah led them back to their land in Jerusalem, and they began a rebuilding process. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the sacrificial system. They rebuilt the city walls. They had protection. And now it was time to live in this land. And God had done so many miraculous things among them. And at the end of this, you would think, wow, it's done. The building project's done. Let's just seek God now and let's enjoy. Let's follow his commands. Let's just do everything the right way this time. Well, guess what? They still didn't do things the right way. Nehemiah was so mad at the end of this chapter, I think P.T. purposely avoided this verse, but I'm going I'm to show it to you today. He was so mad at the people for not following God's ways, his laws, the, the way that was going to keep them safe. This is what he says in Nehemiah 13.25. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair he was so frustrated with the people he was like I'm gonna force you guys into submission beating them punching them pulling can you imagine PT you see him in the corner today after service just like slugging at someone pulling out their hair we'd be like whoa This is what Nehemiah did. This was his response. If I can't teach them, I'm going to beat them into submission. This is our attempt. And we've all, you know, we give Nehemiah a hard time here, but we've all seen people on a path to destruction, and we're trying like crazy to get their attention, right? Right? You're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong path. This is not going to be good for you long term. Parents, you might see your teens and you just know from wisdom and experience you're on the wrong path. And you probably want to beat them and pull out their hair sometimes. It doesn't work though, because that's a bad motivator. And God knew this. This is why he finally, in the New Testament, said enough is enough. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. In fact, I'm going to pour out all my judgment. The sin of the whole world deserves to be judged. I'm going to pour out all my judgment on my son. Instead of you guys. He's going to pay the price. The one perfect human in the entire world. He's going to pay the price. And that's what happened. He poured out all of his wrath. And all of his judgment. And Jesus died the most horrific death in all of history. I think we could die. For us. By His stripes, we are healed, reconciled to the Father. He reconciled us through that act. It's not because we were good enough. It's because we weren't. He did what no man could ever do. Be perfect. Actually follow the law. Actually follow the commands and the ways of God. And he did that for us. So he rescued us. Then he raises us up and speaks so much life into us that we just want to live for him. He does what no man could ever do for us. And the last thing he does is he seals it with the Holy Spirit. He seals it. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He sealed us. In ancient times, what people would do is they'd take their treasured possessions and they would seal them in wax. And then they would take a signet ring or a way that described who they were and they'd put that seal, the seal of their ring, into the wax. And they set that aside and everyone knew who that belonged to. This is what God does for us with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm marking you now. You are mine. You're no longer your own. No, see, I saved you. I rescued you. I raised you up. I did what no man could do on their own. And now I'm going to seal you. I'm going to mark you as mine. And I'm gonna allow you to live by the power and love of the Holy Spirit that will actually help you to live a life that you could never live without the Holy Spirit. This message is so beautiful. It's such an incredible message of God's love to his creation that I loved you so much that I look past all of these poor choices that we all make and I'm constantly redeeming your life. We're the ones who have a hard time forgiving each other when we shipwreck our lives or other people's lives and create pain and baggage but God is constantly redeeming our mistakes. We may look at someone and judge and say, you a sinner, how could you do that to me? How could you treat me like that? And want to excommunicate them and say, God, judge them, but God is reaching out to them and saying, I will redeem your life too. We are not the sum of our mistakes. We're the sum of God's grace in our life. He loves us, He's called us, He rescued us, He raised us up, He sealed us with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you what, that message changed me. It wasn't all the do's and don'ts in the Bible that changed me. I struggled a long time as a teenager and in my twenties with do's and don'ts, feeling like a failure. When I understood fully the message of grace, it changed my life. It was no longer a religion. It was no longer a roller coaster. It was no longer a God who judged me if I did bad and loved me when I did good. It was a God whose grace covered me. and empowered me to live for him. I lived differently. I thought about myself differently. I had more confidence. I had more confidence in God because he changed me. Because he brought healing and reconciliation in my life because I understood grace. And when you understand grace, it affects your life in every aspect. Not only does it change you, but it should change how you view others. Less judgmental and more grace for them, also. Get this message into our heart and into our soul, and we will be different. Let's bow our heads for prayer. If you're here today, and you've never really understood the, the, the grace message like that. Like maybe you thought you're far from God and you had to do good works to earn God's approval or earn your way into heaven. And you've never just said, God, I surrender my life to you and I need to receive that grace that Pastor Chris is talking about. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I need to understand the message of grace. I want it to go deep inside my heart. I want to spend an eternity with the Father. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Church, let's all repeat this prayer after me. If you raise your hand, believe this in your heart. If if you've already done this, we're all going to be there and we're going to say this together just so you don't feel weird. We're a family. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I get it now. I need it now. Would you come into my life? Would you remove my sin? Would you redeem my life? Would you save me from my sin? I need you. I want to walk with you. I want to live by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying that prayer this morning. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and we're going to clean or sing this closing song together. Let this message just wash over you with this song.
1: When we started our service this morning, it just had that feel like it was going to be special in this place and thank the Lord that whenever we gather together, he's always here among us and we acknowledge that. But even Pastor Dave uh, made reference to it uh, during the break and uh, it's so good to be in God's house. But as we close out and I, Chris would normally come back and I asked him if I could just close us out today. I, wa- I want to give you some advice. I just want to say a couple of things. And if you don't do it, I'm going to find you and pull your hair. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find this message on our website. I want you to pin it, mark it, do whatever you can to know where it's at so you can go back and listen to it again and again. And I'm also going to ask you to try to send this message to everyone that you've been praying for, everyone that you know needs the, the Lord, everyone who might be struggling because this message today captures the, the essence of our Christianity. It, it captures, uh, did you enjoy it today? I mean, did it, did it minister to your soul? The message that Pastor Chris preached for us this morning, it doesn't come from a book. you you don't read it you don't you don't put it together in notes it comes from the heart it's birthed out of uh, revelation and experience and lessons and this message has the power to change us you know we try to change people we can't but the gospel message can because it's a message of grace and mercy from our God so do that do yourself a favor go back listen to it again you know, the first part of it, you know, don't emphasize that too much. Uh, Do the rest of it. And then um, send that out to whoever you can. If you raised your hand here, thank you so much for responding this morning. Uh, We're able here to meet with you for prayer. If you'd like additional prayer, you can stop by the, the Next Steps desk in the lobby as well. We have a gift for you. We want to encourage you in your faith and help you to grow in grace. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Have a great day.